0: good morning Mabel Park we're going to start out this morning by reading out of first Corinthians chapter 7 and verses 29 through 31 this is what I mean brothers and sisters is that the time is short from now on those who have wives should live as if they do not those who mourn as if they did not those who are happy as if they were not those who buy something, as if it were not theirs to keep. Those who use the things of the world, as if not engrossed in them. For this world, in its present form, is passing away. You guys may be seated. Before we get to reading in the Gospel in, in Mark chapter 1 today, I'd like to delve into this first passage just a little bit, out of First Corinthians. And just as it almost always is, it's important to look at the context of this passage. Now what we're reading here is Paul's letter of instruction to the church in Corinth. And what is he addressing in this letter? Now in general, up to this point in the letter, Paul is addressing things that we all face, whether as a church or as individuals. He discusses, among other things, division within the church, false wisdom that is not from God, sexual immorality, and now in chapter 7 he's talking about marriage. In verse 29, as we begin the passage I just read, it says, let those who have wives live as though they had none. Now, if we were to take that out of context, that's a fairly shocking suggestion. I mean, are we supposed to just forget our vows that we made to our spouses? Or is he saying that we should ignore the needs of our spouses, abandon our families? No, Paul isn't saying that at all. Looking at the context of the chapter, Paul is simply urging us to focus on God as our top priority. Not that we're to to diminish the importance of our marriages or our relationships. He doesn't suggest that there's anything wrong with being married. He just says that basically it's going to add one more potential distraction to our lives as believers. Lives that are already filled with plenty of things that can distract. Now, we'll get into Mark chapter 1 in just a minute. And as we'll read there, I would contend that having someone alongside you that shares your faith is a must. Finding the right spouse that can pair with you as someone that would build you up and encourage you in your faith rather than distract. But I think Paul's point here is a little bit different. As we read on in the passage, I think it becomes more obvious, or at least it did to me as I read on, made a little more sense. Paul's not targeting marriage as a negative here. He's only pointing out that even marriage, as important as it is, is just like every other thing here on earth. It's only temporary. Our ultimate focus should be the eternal life that we have in Christ Jesus. There are many good things that we have in this life, our friends, families, our spouses, material things that God gives us, But each one can be a distraction if we set our priorities in the wrong order. And we all do that from time to time, or at least I know I do. So yes, Paul goes on to mention several things as examples of the temporary nature of our lives and experiences. He mentions mourning, rejoicing, those who are buying things, and those who are dealing with the world. Now living on this earth, we've all experienced many of those things. But Paul says this, the present form of this world is passing away. It's only temporary. Our lives, our possessions, and even our marriages will end one day. And Paul is simply instructing us to remember that there should be a level of urgency and focus when it comes to our commitment to God. Now let's read out of chapter, uh, Mark chapter 1, verses 14 through 20. After John was put in prison... Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. When when he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. Now in the book of Mark, this passage takes place right at the beginning of Christ's ministry here on earth. Chapter one tells of John the Baptist who came to prepare the way prepare people's hearts for Christ's coming Then it tells of the baptism of Jesus Then Jesus is led out into the wilderness for 40 days where he is tempted by Satan and then we have the passage we read today So right off the bat, I think there's a really simple point to take away from this as we look at the example Jesus set for us and that is this when we are doing ministry or preparing for doing ministry, we need to surround ourselves with other believers, people that will support us and encourage us, especially during our times of struggle, because we all know those are going to come, and also people who will understand the experiences that we have as believers as we're trying to tell others of Jesus. We're not meant to walk through this life and through whatever God has called us to alone. Now, maybe that's so obvious that I don't even really need to dig into it, but I think this is why it's important and why I do want to spend just a couple minutes on it today. If Jesus' first act as he started up his ministry on earth was to get some others to help him and learn from him, how would we be expected to do anything different? I don't think we would. I think that's exactly why Jesus showed us what we ought to do, And I would contend that we strive to do exactly the same, surrounding ourselves with others that are on the same mission. again, I'm stating the obvious here, but ministry in this world is difficult. This passage comes just after Jesus' temptation in the wilderness. We know there will be temptations in this life, and how much more do you think the devil is going to throw at you if he knows you're setting out to spread the good news of Jesus? I can guarantee you he doesn't want you to get that ball rolling. He would rather single you out, get you discouraged, burned out, and feeling inadequate for the mission God has for you. How many pastors or leaders of the church do you hear of that tried to shoulder the burden alone and eventually they tire out? They get to a point where they're burned out, discouraged, and they just can't keep doing it. God didn't mean for us to go it alone. HE WILL NEVER LEAVE US OR FORSAKE US, BUT HE ALSO MEANT FOR US TO BE AROUND OTHERS THAT WILL SUPPORT US AND ENCOURAGE US AS WE SHARE share HIS WORD WITH THE WORLD THAT'S CRYING OUT FOR HOPE. NOW LET'S LOOK AT THE TEXT A LITTLE MORE IN-DEPTH. JUST AS PAUL WAS STRESSING THE IMPORTANCE OF FOCUS, OF URGENCY, JESUS ALSO SAYS AT THE BEGINNING OF THIS PASSAGE, THE TIME HAS COME. THE KINGDOM OF GOD HAS COME NEAR. REPENT AND BELIEVE THE GOOD NEWS. Before he goes out to find people to surround himself with, he says that we need to repent. We need to turn away from our sin and look to the transformative power of the blood of Christ. That is the good news we have. That's the news that we are to share with others as we go throughout the world. Next, Jesus comes to the first of his disciples, Simon, Andrew, James, and John, as they are going about their work as fishermen. Now for these men, that's probably all they knew. It says specific- specifically that James and John leave their father Zebedee in the boat with the other hired men. So James and John are leaving the family business here to follow Jesus. Again, just like in the, last pas- the first passage we read, where Paul is making sure that our focus is on the right thing, he doesn't say there's anything wrong with marriage. Jesus doesn't say anything negative about the disciples' previous vocations. He just wants them to commit to following him. Pastor Adam often talks about how we're called to be disciples in whatever vocation God may have called us to, and that's true. God can put you exactly where he needs you. We might think of him most often working through missionaries or pastors, but he also calls tax collectors, fishermen, and people of all vocations to follow him. And to work as his witnesses wherever he has them. With the disciples in this passage, he says that he'll make them fishers of men. So he's giving them a promotion within the vocation, if you will. He works with what they are familiar with in fishing and turns it into the calling that he has for them. While, while they were now learned to be on lookout for potential new believers. Now in this text, as Jesus is calling the disciples... He uses, in uh, in the ESV, he uses the word immediately two different times. It says that Simon and Andrew immediately left their nets. And when Jesus uh, Jesus saw James and John, it says he immediately called to them. At the beginning of the passage, Jesus says the kingdom of God is at hand. So I think that's the biggest similarity that we can take between this passage and the one that we read out of 1 Corinthians where we see that there is a sense of urgency about the mission that we are called on. It is not something to be done later, or something where we're told to get to it when we don't have anything else going on. No, Jesus says, follow me. And in this case, the disciples drop what they're doing, and they go with him. Now, is that always what Jesus' calling is going to look like in each of our lives? Are we being called to abandon our posts? I don't think so, necessarily. We are not all going to be physically called, or need to quit our profession, but I think the point we are to take from this is that we should be ready and willing to follow Jesus at all times. We could be in the middle of our work, but if Jesus calls, it's time to go. Not all are going to be called to a foreign mission field or to be a pastor. Christ puts us in different professions, just as he gives different gifts to each part of the body of Christ. But the larger point is that we need to be willing to follow where he is leading on a daily basis. We have so many examples in the Bible of people that God has called to do something extraordinary. And some were hesitant. Moses, who wondered if he was the best candidate. Jonah, who ran the opposite way of where God asked him to go. And we all know how that ended up, didn't, don't we? In the end, if God wants you in a certain position to fulfill his mission, he has the ability to get you there, regardless of your initial willingness. And for anyone who is hesitant in following Christ because they don't feel worthy or capable, God will give you exactly what you need to accomplish what you are to do. He doesn't ask us to go out on our own. He asks us to follow him. He takes the lead and we just need to be willing vessels for the message that God would have us bring. Now when we tie these two passages together, the urgency and focus that Paul urges his readers to have and Jesus' command to follow him, it makes it that much easier to do just that when we consider the temporary nature of this world. But that doesn't mean we're always going to have that as our first instinct. Now for those of you familiar with the show Seinfeld, it's one of my favorite shows, I remember a bit that Jerry does where he, he talks about the top fears of people. He mentions public speaking is number one. What do you think number two is? Number two is death. So public speaking is number one above death. So the punchline of Jerry's joke is that the, for the average person, if they're attending a funeral, they'd rather be in the casket than up front giving the eulogy. Now, I didn't verify that those two fears are actually the top two but it would make sense that they'd be high on the list. I also have no evidence to support my next claim but I think number three on the list for many would be change. Or maybe that'd be number two for some. We tend to get set in our ways, in our routines, not wanting to get out of our comfort zone To make it a little more personal for me, I think of when I was first asked to preach here at Maple Park. I think it was much like Moses when he was called to serve. And I thought to myself, are you sure you have the right guy? Aren't there other people that are better equipped? But through praying about it, God reminded me, there has not been a time when he has not provided what I needed when I follow him. When God commands us to do something, he also equips us with what we need. When we have times of doubt or of not following at the first opportunity, we can take solace in this. If we are to emulate Jesus and follow him, we even see Jesus resist when he is asked to do something difficult. He knows what's coming. And what does he say? He asked God to take this cup from him. But the important phrase that Jesus uses in that request is this, not my will, but yours be done. So none of us should expect to have a perfect record when it comes to following Christ. We may not get it the first time, we may miss a signal when he's telling us to follow, or we may resist, but God can still use us despite our shortcomings. So while we likely don't need to go out and quit our jobs tomorrow, we should just try to be a little more aware of the spots where Christ is saying, follow me. Maybe it's the coworker going through a tough time in life. Or maybe a neighbor that you have an opportunity to help out. We know that Christ will ask us to follow him. So let's be aware of the many forms that that might take in our lives. So that we can be ready when the time is at hand. Amen. Now as Ken comes forward, let us pray as we prepare our hearts for communion. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that you equip us when you ask us to follow you. We thank you that you don't uh, expect us to go it alone, but that you've given us the example of surrounding ourselves with other believers and that you lead us into whatever mission you would have us on. Thank you so much for the great gifts that you've given to us as we prepare our hearts today for communion. Just pray that you would uh, give each one a blessing through the body and blood that we're about to partake in. In your name. Amen.